Thanks, Minister. Please keep that passage open, and uh, let's begin with a prayer. Dear Lord, we, we pray that by your Spirit you'd speak to us this morning through your Word, that you'd help us to, to see Jesus, to see you, Heavenly Father, and to learn to live for you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, what is God doing when hard times come? What is his plan in a global pandemic? Does God have a particular purpose for his people, for the church, in the midst of this trial or in the midst of any trial? Or are we just being swept along in the bigger tide of humanity? Well, our reading this morning was written to a people who needed to know what God was doing. The people of God soon will be taken into exile in Babylon. God will comfort them, chapter 40. He'll strengthen them, chapter 41. He'll even send a saviour to save them, the beginning of chapter 42. But what is God's actual purpose in their trials? What does he want them to learn? How does he want them to respond? God has three important lessons to questions like those in our verses this morning. And if you're here or if you're watching and you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian, well, God's, God's words to you are like an invitation to put the God of the Bible under the microscope. What is he like? What does he do in tough times? What could he do in your life as well? Here's the first lesson. God judges his people for a reason. God judges his people for a reason. Hear you deaf, look you blind, and see. God is making an announcement to the world, but the, there's a problem. The world is blind and deaf. The world can't see or hear the spiritual realities God wants to speak to them. God has a solution, but his solution doesn't look very promising at all because his own people are also blind and deaf. Who is blind but my servant and deaf like the messenger I send? Who is blind like the one in covenant with me, blind like the servant of the Lord? You have seen many things, but you pay no attention. Your ears are open but you do not listen. Israel was meant to be God's messenger to the nations. God had given her his great and glorious law, verse 21, so that she could reflect him to the world. God's chosen people were meant to be like this great big billboard advertising God and his righteousness to other people. But tragically, they ignored God's word. They had the words of life and they didn't listen. They didn't think about what God had done or about what his words meant. They were a messenger who, who wouldn't hear their master's voice. And so they faced God's unavoidable justice. Verse 22, this is a people plundered and looted, all of them trapped in pits or hidden away in prisons. They have become plunder with no one to rescue them. They've been made loot with no one to say, send them back. Back in chapter 39, King Hezekiah had welcomed diplomatic visitors from Babylon and he'd proudly given them a tour of his storehouses and his palaces. He'd showed off all the treasures of the kingdom. He thought nothing of it, but Isaiah knew that disaster was coming. Chapter 39, verse 5, Hezekiah, Isaiah said to Hezekiah, the time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon and some of your descendants will be taken away. In other words, as we read in our passage this morning, the people of Judah will be plundered and looted. Well, in God's kindness, the exile didn't 
was perhaps not as bleak as the picture Isaiah paints of pits and prisons. But it didn't change the fundamental facts. They had been plundered and made looted and made loot. God's people were captives in a foreign land at the mercy of their conquerors. They had no one to speak up in their defense, no court of appeal that might decide to send them home. They faced a bleak picture, a, bu- a bleak future. What was the point? Sometimes we ask why when bad things happen. That can be useful. But do you notice how Isaiah asks a different question? Not why, but who? Verse 23. Who among you will listen to this or pay close attention in time to come? Who handed Jacob over to become loot and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord? You see, the exile wasn't bad luck or the natural result of political events. It was the deliberate judgment of God. They sinned against him. They wouldn't follow his ways. They didn't obey his law. So what did God do? Verse 25, he poured out on them his burning anger, the violence of war. God couldn't leave their sin unpunished. He judged them for a reason to show them the terrible consequences of turning their backs on him. And he acts in the same way today. He judges for a reason. First of all, he judges the world at large for a reason. Why do we live in a world of pandemics and terrorism, things like that? Well, in part because God is revealing his righteous anger against the spiritually blind and deaf world. Our world refuses to listen to God or live his way, and so it experiences a taste of what it's like to live under the judgment of God. C.S. Lewis famously said, suffering is God's megaphone to a deaf world. But God still judges his own people, his church, for a reason too. The Apostle Peter was writing to um, Christians and he calls them God's elect exiles. They were suffering as exiles and, and and they wanted to know why. Peter says to them, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. You see, Peter's exiles, those Christians, they weren't suffering for their sin like the people of Judah were suffering for their sin. We'll find out why in a moment. But they still faced God's fiery judgment for a reason. It was a period of testing. Would they trust God through their trials or would they take matters into their own hands? As we live through this time of pandemic and lockdown and things like that, is it just possible that the church in some way is experiencing something of God's judgment? Of course, God is speaking through his megaphone of suffering to a a deaf world out there. But in what way might his people, the church, be facing a deliberate time of trial and testing and judgment too? As we've met online or as we've closed our doors as uh, so many kind of outward-facing ministries have been suspended and plans have been put on hold, as we've stopped singing, I wonder if we should look at those things through the lens of exile. Is that the experience we're facing, an exile? Well, if so, let's not respond to that exile like Isaiah's people did. Verse 25, it enveloped them in flames, yet they did not understand. It consumed them but they did not take it to heart. 
Let's not cover our ears and put our fingers in our ears when trials come. Instead, let's pay attention and learn. What is it that God might be teaching us? How might he wanting us to be refined through this COVID-created exile? Let's do what Peter told his exiled readers to do. 1 Peter 4.19 So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Well, we don't know exactly how, but somehow it is God's will that we live in these times. Let's not despair. Let's not give up on our faithful God. Let's figure out what it means to do good in his name, and let's do it. Well, the first lesson to remember in in hard times is that God judges his people for a reason. Our second lesson moves on from God's uh, justice to his love. God redeems his people to reveal his costly love, verses 1 to 7. But now, this is what the Lord says, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Do you notice how that verse increases in intimacy? So the creator created his people. He formed them with his own hands. He takes on the duties of the next of kin, the redeeming next of kin. And then most intimately of all, he calls his people by name. A bit like a husband will joyfully begin his wedding speech. My wife and I, God says to Israel, you are mine. God loves this blind, deaf, stubborn, and disobedient people. And so they don't need to fear. God is with them. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. So as they pass through those burning hot deserts on the way to Babylon, as they cross the rivers, God is accompanying them. Maybe we think of Daniel's three friends who many years later were literally untouched by that fiery furnace. But I think it is more a metaphorical picture than a literal one. No matter what God's people face, they are still held by the hand of the Lord. Jesus said, no one will snatch them out of my hands. Paul wrote, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither height nor depth, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. Well, why can we be so sure of that? Because God has done for us what he promised to do for Israel. He has redeemed us to reveal his costly love. Verses 3 and 4 are the center of this section. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. So in the past, God redeemed his people at the cost of the nation of Egypt. Pharaoh held Israel as slaves, but his nation paid the price. He set Israel free by defeating the Egyptians. And he will do the same in the future. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. It's as if God is saying, no cost is too high for me to get you back. Whatever it costs, I'm going to spend it. No matter how powerful your captor is, I've got sufficient resources to set you free. 
Well, at this stage, it's unclear exactly how God is going to do this. But in a few chapters' time, Isaiah will point to just one person who will pay the ultimate redemption price. As Peter writes, it was not with perishable things that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. Sometimes it is hard to know what God is doing through trials, but we can always look back to Christ and be absolutely convinced that God loves us no matter what. He paid a price even greater than the defeat of Egypt. He redeemed us at the cost of the life of his only son. And so when we go through trials, we don't need to be thinking, somehow God is punishing me for a particular sin. Yes, sometimes we do need to live with the consequences of particular sins, either as individuals or as a church. But the sentence for sin has been served in Christ. The ransom price doesn't need to be paid again. So we can face the future without fear. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So Isaiah's picturing the people traveling back from, from Babylon, but it's a much bigger picture than that. God gathers his people, my sons and my daughters, from the four corners of the globe. They were blind and deaf. God had poured out his, his anger on them, but he never stopped loving them. They were his people called by his name, created for his glory. See, in Christ, you and I are the objects of God's costly love. He says of you and me, my daughter, my son. What is God doing when hard times come? Well, perhaps in part, even very paradoxically and difficult to understand from our perspective, God is reminding us that he loves us. Whatever the struggles we face, along with others because we live in a fallen world, or whatever particular trials we face because we follow Christ, God has redeemed us to reveal his costly love. Hard times can be very hard to bear. Some people, perhaps this morning, could testify to exactly how hard they are in their lives right now. But those things don't change the fact that Christ died for us. I was speaking with one of the home groups this week about the hymn writer William Cooper and his most famous hymn perhaps, There is a fountain filled with blood, captures this truth. He suffered from terrible depression almost all of his life and yet he wrote, Ere since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wound supply, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. So God judges his people for a reason. He redeems them to, re to reveal his costly love. And thirdly and finally, God calls his people to be his worldwide witnesses. Verses 8 to 13. Lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Uh, God has used courtroom language before in this part of Isaiah. He does so again. Uh, do the nation's idols ever predict the past? Are they able to tell us what the future holds? The nations have got no witnesses in, to call in their defense. 
The idols have got nothing to say. But God does have a witness who can speak. Verse 10, you are my witness, declares the Lord, my servant whom I have chosen. Now this verse, I think, comes as a huge surprise. Do you remember Israel is a blind servant and a deaf messenger? But now God says of them, you are my chosen servant, my sworn witness, and your task is to testify to my absolute uniqueness. Verse 10, so that you may know so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me, there is no saviour. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I, and not some foreign God among you. No other God acts in the same way as the God of the Bible. He reveals truth from heaven. He then acts in history to save, and then he sends appointed spokesmen and women to proclaim what he is doing in the world. That's what he, he did in Egypt, do you remember? He, he reveals truth to Moses, I'm going to save your people. He then saves them through the plagues in the Red Sea, and then he anoints Moses and Miriam and others to proclaim the significance of what he's done. It's what he's going to do for these people. He's telling them they're going to go to Babylon. He will save them in Babylon, and then he will speak through prophets and others afterwards explaining what all of this means. But fully and finally, God has done this through his son, Jesus. Jesus revealed truth from heaven. Jesus then acted in history to save. He died and rose again. And then he appointed apostles to proclaim what he has done. In fact, these words in Isaiah, Jesus often alluded to them in his, li in his life. You notice God says, I am he. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. God says, apart from me, there is no saviour. The Apostle Peter preached, salvation is found in no one else. Jesus witnessed, the apostles witnessed, and we too are called to be God's worldwide witnesses. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days I am he. No one can deliver out of my hands when I act. Who can reverse it? So what task has God given to you and me? And what did he expect of Judah as they faced exile in Babylon? What does he expect of us in a, in a COVID-created exile today? God calls us to testify that there is no one like him. You see, these events are under his sovereign hands. We can't change them, but we can commit to serve ourselves, in, serve him in them, to do what is good, that will include lots of different things, but certainly it will include standing up and witnessing to him. Now, I know most of us get pretty nervous and uncomfortable any time we're, we're encouraged to witness to Jesus, to God. We find it hard. We feel awkward. Conversations can be uncomfortable or apparently pointless. But how about we hear these words and think about it like this? God says to us, you are my witnesses. When Jesus ascended up to heaven, he said, you will be my witnesses. God doesn't have anyone else. It's us or no one. If we don't tell the world that God is absolutely and utterly unique, if we don't proclaim that Jesus is the only saviour, 
No one else will. It's up to us. We can't always know what God is doing when hard times come. But Isaiah's words suggest that three things that he could be doing. They point us, I think, to God our judge, God our lover, God our master. He judges his people for a reason. So we prepare to to consider how God might be judging his church in this difficult season and ready to learn the lessons he wants to teach us. God redeems his people to reveal his costly love. No matter how hard our trials, will we keep looking back to the cross and cherish the love of Christ. And God calls his people to be his worldwide witnesses. There's no greater privilege than speaking up and saying there is no one like him. It's not just for a select few, it's for all of us. So let's do that. Let's take the witness stand, making the most of whatever opportunities God gives us in this season and preparing well for whatever openings he may bring in the future.